welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. We're going to start a new series tonight. Chris and I are going to be sharing um, over the next few weeks. And um, leading up to the day of Pentecost, we want to do a series with you on the person of the Holy Spirit, his power, his ministry. Um, just the aspects uh, that the scripture unfolds concerning um, the ministry and person of the Holy Spirit. Um, I think a good topic to deal with because for so many believers, the Holy Spirit is almost an afterthought. He tends to somewhat be the forgotten member of the Godhead, almost an appendage to the doctrine of God, a shadowy, ghostly kind of figure. The third person of the Trinity and definitely in third place for many people. You know, the irony is, although we talk of the Holy Spirit being the third person of the Godhead from the standpoint of our experience as Christians, he's actually the first person that we encounter. It's his ministry that draws us into the experience of God's purpose, God's presence, and God's redemptive love. Um, I understand the dilemma that um, tends to assault us in terms of trying to imagine this person of the Holy Spirit, because it is much easier to speak of the Father and of the Son, if only because of the familiar family imagery that is employed in these, in these designations. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, I mean, how does one render the reality that's described as wind, fire, breath, or oil? And as you look at the scriptures, we see him both being tangible and, and intangible, invisible yet incredibly powerful, inexpressible and yet tenderly intimate, reliable and yet unpredictable. You know, in the historic creeds, we kind of tip our hat to the Holy Spirit. There's lots of things about the Father and the Son. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Um, while we tip our hat to him in acknowledgement, the reality is in our praxis, in our practice, we effectively ignore him. In the historic creeds, the references, as I say, to the Holy Spirit are brief, occasional, and at times even perfunctory. I, I suspect that in many of our churches and for many people within our churches, we prize our version of decency and order and control so highly that actually an outpouring of the Holy Spirit constitutes a threat. If you've read anything of revival history, um, you know, revival has always looked wonderful from about 100 years away. But when you live in the midst of them, they're incredibly messy. And the people that, um, that, that resist revival the most are the people you would expect to the least. They tend to be religious people. They tend to be Christians. Because when the Holy Spirit moves, he often moves, as I say, in unpredictable ways that really disturb us. Karen and I were just talking about this the other day, and we've been in ministry something just a little over four decades, and over that four decades, we have experienced incredible outpouring of, of the Holy Spirit in, in three sort of major seasons. And I, and I have to say, pastorally, those were the most difficult days for me to pastor. They were both wonderful and terrible. 
Uh, I think it was a Dickens novel that starts off and says it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. And my experience pastorally during those seasons was, was exactly that. It was both wonderful and terrible. It was the best of times and it was the hardest of times. And maybe as we go through the series, I can unpack why, why that's so. But one of the reasons has to do with this issue of he, uh, he can't be controlled. And he does things at time that seem to almost be designed to offend our minds. So um, I, I think, you know, the reality is many churches tip their hats to the Holy Spirit but actually don't want to see him move too powerfully among them. Clark Pinnock writes quite thoughtfully, forgetfulness may be too kind a way to refer to this problem. We cannot even rule out the possibility of suppression at times. At times, the very church that was born in his powerful wind resist him and suppress him. What we have to understand is to resist and grieve the Holy Spirit is to resist and grieve no less than God himself. And what I want to do briefly tonight is before we begin to look at the person of the Holy Spirit, I want to explore the fact that in doing so, we are really talking about God himself. He is a member of what we Christians call the Trinity, the Godhead. The scriptures reveal God as a communion of loving persons, a father, a son, and the Holy Spirit, each an uncreated person, one in essence, equal in power and glory. We, we having said that, we are monotheists. We we, as Christians, are people who believe in one God. We are not, as Muslims suppose we are, tritheists. We don't believe in three gods. We believe in one God. To see and understand God as a relational trinity, though, is not a mere... Uh, it's not mere human speculation or philosophy. That insight, the community of the three in one, is an insight that comes from God's self-revelation given to us in the Scriptures. The picture that the Scripture affords us is one transcendent society or communion of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, members of one divine essence and community, unified by their common divinity, their singleness of purpose. It's a community of love, of mutuality, and of equality. So what we understand from the scripture is that God is not an isolated individual, as Islam claims he is, but a loving interpersonal community. There is one God, but he's not solitary. In whatever the Godhead undertakes, the three members of that community function together, never independently of each other. You know, I don't know whether you've heard this or not, but, but if you've studied theology and you come to the dealing with atonement, one of the things that you'll often hear people say is that the idea of the Father punishing the Son on the cross is abhorrent. It is like uh, child abuse, you know, and, and a lot of writers today in Christian circles are talking so much about the love of God that the penal substitution of the cross is pushed sideways because the Father loves the Son so much that he would never do that to him. But, but that's a complete misunderstanding of the Trinity. The Trinity do not function in isolation. The Father doesn't do something to the Son that the Son doesn't want done to him. 
And what you see in the crucifixion is the Father acting in the Son by the power of the Spirit. It's not one punishing another. It's the Godhead in the form of the Son through the Father and the Spirit taking our sins upon themselves and dealing with it. They never function alone. Now, I know that's incredibly mysterious, but it is not incoherent. God is wonderfully different than our natural unaided thinking would lead us to believe. He is not an absolute ego. He is not a single self-isolated and solitary. As the early theologians were kind of grappling and struggling to give words to what the scripture presents and reveals, they spoke about this divine nature as being like a like a dance, the circling of the threefold life, the coming and going of the persons. And they used a word uh, that, that um, you may have heard of. It's the word perichoresis. And if you haven't heard of perichoresis, you've heard of an English word that comes from it. It's the word choreography. And they describe this incredible dance of this loving community. Now, I, I, I understand that the Holy Spirit is not as clearly defined for us as perhaps the Father and the Son are. I mean, the Son became visible and rendered through his visibility the Father visible. So Philip says, Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus says to Philip, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So the Son reveals the Father the Holy Spirit, however, remains somewhat more hidden. You know, we have images like dove and rain and wind and water and fire and oil, and they are evocative, but they don't really reveal the face of a person. It's really important, however, that we grasp his divine personality, that he is a person, or inevitably that person and his ministry will be somewhat lost to us. And and I know even in Pentecostal circles where they do value the moving of the Holy Spirit, there is a tendency to actually begin to treat him as an impersonal force or power, a bit like electricity or magnetism. And if you lose his personality, it's, it becomes easier and perhaps even natural to begin to try and harness that force and use it to achieve our own ends. And I want to just say to you, it's not about using the Holy Spirit. He is not something that we harness and use. And sometimes when I hear people talking about techniques and, and certain ways of doing things, because when we do it that way, we get that power, it really troubles me because we aren't dealing with a flow of elect electricity. We're, deal we're dealing with a person. And he's not a technique. And he's not an it to be used. We're really in danger when we want miracles or we want power or we want results. We are in danger of reducing this divine person to be a means to achieve our ends. And he's not the means. He is the end. He's not an impersonal force or power. He's a divine personality of infinite majesty. And along with the Father and the Son, he deserves our worship and our love and our trust and our surrender and our obedience. So what I want to do in the brief time that we have together tonight is just explore this whole idea of the Holy Spirit as a person, as a personality. The accepted attributes of personality are intellect, volition, that's a person who expresses their will, and emotions. 
And where you've got those three things, you're dealing with personality. A person who feels, who exercises their will, and who thinks. And the scripture ascribes those characteristics, those attributes of personality to the person of the Holy Spirit. For example, intelligence or knowledge is attributed to the Holy Spirit. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, the Bible says, For you, you are the only one who knows what is in your own mind. And God's Spirit is the only one who knows what is in God's mind. He isn't just illumination or inspiration that, that perhaps comes to our mind. He is a person who knows the inner thoughts of the Trinity, being one of them. He knows the heart of God because he is God and he can reveal that to us. So in Acts chapter 1 and verse 16, we see him speaking, for example. Friends, long ago, says the writer, the Holy Spirit spoke through David regarding Judas. So here we see him speaking. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 4, we see him sending sent off on their new assignment by the Holy Spirit. Barnabas and Saul went down to Seleucia and caught a ship for Cyrus. In Acts chapter 16 and verse 6, we see the Holy Spirit directing the operations of that first missionary endeavor. So it says they went to Phrygia and from there, and, and then on through the region of Galatia. Their plan was to turn west into Asia's province, but the Holy Spirit blocked that route. So they went to Mysia and tried to go north into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't let them go there either. So we see him speaking, we see him directing, we see him revealing, we see him in ways that outside of personality, there's no satisfactory explanation. He is a free, sovereign, intelligent agent. We see the power of volition or will is attributed to the person of the Holy Spirit. So in John chapter 3 verse 1 where Jesus is talking about the wind and the new birth, he says only God's Spirit gives new life. The Spirit is like the wind that blows wherever it wills or wherever it wants to. You can hear the wind, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. The dear old King James uses the word listeth to describe the Holy Spirit's right to determine, to choose, to act, to blow, to function wherever it is that he likes. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, a passage that we'll look at later on when we're discussing his power, he talks about, it talks about the manifestations of the Holy Spirit that are distributed among the body of Christ as the Spirit wills. So it says all these gifts have a common origin, but they are handed out one by one by the one Spirit of God. He decides who gets what and when. So here we see him as an intelligent agent. We see him as a willful agent. And thirdly, we see him as uh, one who has emotions. Emotions are attributed to the person of the Spirit. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 30, we read about the love that comes from the Holy Spirit, where Paul says, I have one request, dear friends, pray for me, pray strenuously with and for me to God the Father through the power of our Master Jesus, through the love of the Spirit. Now, we're all very familiar with the love of the Father, who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. We are also familiar with the love of the Son, who loved the church, Ephesians says, and gave himself for it. But very very rarely do you hear people talking about the love of the Spirit, but it's there in the Scriptures. Just as real, 
just as intensely passionate as the love of either the Father or the Son. As any personality does, he responds emotionally to the way that he's treated. That's a sobering thought, given the way we do treat him. In Isaiah 63 verse 10, it says, but they rebelled and they grieved his Holy Spirit. Another translation says, the Lord's people turned against him and they made his Holy Spirit sad. Paul, talking to the church at Ephesus, says, do not grieve the Spirit of God by whom you are sealed unto the day of redemption. He can be grieved. He can be saddened by our consistent stubbornness, by the rebellion, by just our carnality at times, as any personality can be when he is resisted and pushed away. The Holy Spirit can be saddened. So we see the Holy Spirit has all the marks then of personality. And you and I are called by the Scriptures into a relationship with this personality that is nothing less than a relationship with a divine personality. Now, as I said before, I understand most of us feel at least reasonably comfortable to call and relate to the Father. We, 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 we can do that with both father and son. Now, occasionally, I you know, had pastoral experience of people who are obstructed in their experience of relating to the father by virtue of their own abusive father, their abusive earthly father who has damaged their capacity to relate to the person of the heavenly father. But for the most part, we can at least come to grips with the idea of a father and a son. Holy Spirit is more difficult, as I've said. But we are called into a relationship with this person. And it's a journey of exploration. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14 says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Now, if you come to Gateway with any regularity, you know that's, it. that's how we finish our services, with what we call the benediction that comes from both Numbers chapter 6 and 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Father God, and the communion. I love the way the message translates that, and when I do that benediction, I nearly always use the words of the message, which says, the amazing grace of the Master, Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That phrase, I find um, something that stirs my heart, because I long to have an intimate friendship with the Holy Spirit. One of the prayers that I pray most regularly is, Father, could I know your friendship? I covet his friendship and his favor. Some of you will know um, Stephen Hart. I see Stephen's mum and dad here to, um, tonight. And, and Stephen has an incredible gift, an artistic gift. And when he was home a couple of um, months back, he said to me, I'd like to paint you, um, I'd like to give you a picture and I want to paint on it the words that would mean a great deal to you. And I gave him those words. I covet your friendship and your favor. I, I covet a relationship with the Holy Spirit. I've had enough experiences of his friendship to really, really want more. And you know, the thing is, as you lean into that friendship, 
more and more you find him leaning back. You know, the book of James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And I, I know that expectation is a springboard of faith. So the funny thing is, the more I expect that he might speak to me, it seems to me at least the more often he does. And uh, I, I, I want the series to be for you a springboard into learning to hear the Holy Spirit's voice, learning that intimate friendship. I had an incredible story, a true story, of a young man who was in a situation like the one I just described where he was crying out and saying, Holy Spirit, please, could I just know your friendship? Could I know your voice? And one day after church, he was walking home, and as he was walking down the streets of his town, um, he's crying this out, and he just felt this prompting within, within him to, to quote out loud John 3.16. And he sort of, it was so left field in a way that it stopped him. And so he stood there, there was no one else around, and, and he thought, really? Could, could that possibly be you, Lord? And then he thought, you know, well, you know, there's nobody around. It's not like I'm on a busy street. You know, maybe I should just do it. And so he said, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. And as he went to step off and head away again, that same prompting came back to him and said, say it again. He thought, Am I losing my mind in this pursuit? You know, this is starting to get silly. There is nobody around, however, and maybe I should just do it. So he thought for a moment, and then he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but would have everlasting life. And just a sense of peace touched his heart, and he had no idea what it was all about, but he walked on. A couple of weeks later, he's sitting down the back of the church, and a brand new Christian is introduced to the church, and the pastor says she has an incredible story. I wanted, to, I wanted to tell you the story. And so she got up and very nervously explained that she was just a new believer, that only several weeks ago she had reached the end of the line and decided that life wasn't even worth living. And she said, I don't know why, but I went down the bottom of my garden and I had my fork, and I was just digging in the garden thinking, I'm going to finish it all. There's just absolutely nothing in this life that, that's worth living for. And she said, out of the depths of my heart, I cried out, and I said, God, if you want to stop me doing this, if you are really there, then speak to me. She said, I know most of you won't believe this, but she said, I heard a voice, and the voice said, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe on him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. She said, you could have bowled me over with a feather. She said, I thought I must be losing my mind. So I said, God, if that's really you, say it again. <laughs> and I want to tell you, there was a young man sitting down the back of that church who thought, this is real. He's real. And I want to pursue that kind of relationship with him. And the purpose of this series is to stir that desire in you. Not, not, you don't have to, I mean, some people think, you know, I, I, I don't want to get weird. 
you know. I've seen these people who are really, really weird and they go about saying, God told me, you know. I mean, every mass murderer, you know, nine out of ten mass murderers told me, God told me to do it. But, but I want to just say to you, don't let the fear of the foolish rob you of the joy of what can be real. Because I tell you, it can be real and it can be unbelievably practical. I don't know whether it was this congregation I told or the morning congregation, but about, I don't know, five months ago, I noticed, uh, I noticed this banging noise in our house. And uh, it, was, it happened at night and it was just going boom. And it would wait for 30 seconds, then it would go, boom. And I'm thinking, what on earth is that? And it sort of was so regular that I thought, man, something's wrong in our plumbing or something's wrong in our house. I don't know what it is. So the next morning, well, actually, it was in the middle of the night. I got up. I went out. I got a torch, and I'm looking around thinking, is there someone sort of, you know, banging and crashing? What's and I couldn't see anything. So anyway, next morning I get up, and I'm thinking, what is that? And so... I, it seemed to be coming from the roof. So I got, I, you know, I get the ladder, go up into the roof, get up there with my torch, and then think, I haven't got a clue what I'm looking for. And, and um, you know, I don't know whether you're one of these people. You know when your car won't start and you go and lift up the bonnet? Why? It's like, <laughs> I mean, some of you, you'd, you'd, you'd actually know why you are doing it. But, but I'd lift up the bonnet and say, yep, it's an, it's an engine. Because <laughs> I haven't got a clue what I'm looking for. And, and, you know, it, it's a bit like that. I get up there, I've got the torch, and I'm looking around thinking, what am I looking for? And I don't know why I did it. I just put the torch down and said, Lord, I've got no idea what this is. I know that you know about all these things. What, what would that possibly be? And I can't say a voice spoke to me. You know, God so loved the world that he gave. It, it, there wasn't an audible voice. But as clear as you like, I had the sense of looking to my left, and as I looked to my left, there were some water pipes that ran down the wall. And as I looked at them, this thought came to me. The tap outside is on. The hose is running. And there is something in the pipe that when the hose runs, it bangs. Now, somebody has told me, if you're a plumber, you'll know what this thing is. I didn't know what it was, but, but it does that. And it bangs when the... And anyway, I'm up the, I'm up the roof. I yell down to Karen. Karen! Hey, is the, is the hose outside turned on? And she goes out and says, yes, it is. So could you please turn it off? She turns it off. I wait. The banging stops. And I thought, oh, dog. You, you know about plumbing. Of course you know about plumbing. What am I thinking? And I can't begin to tell you the number of times, just sometimes so simple, Sometimes much, much more profound, I've had that sense of the Holy Spirit's voice to my heart. And I want to tell you, if you ask me to rank the top experiences of my Christian life, most of the top 10 would be times when he spoke to me so clearly about something that just settled my heart in a way that was just so kind, so gracious, sometimes so confronting but I ask for the friendship and uh, faithful are the wounds of a friend and sometimes he's been very faithful in wounding me when I've done things wrong 
And I, I remember one time where I was doing something, and, and if I told you, you'd probably laugh. It wasn't porn, it wasn't something horrible, but it was something that I just didn't want to tell Karen. And, I, and it would take too long to explain why I didn't want to tell her. It wasn't a big deal, it was something really silly. But I, but I did something and I thought I won't, I, I just won't tell her because I, I know the kind of reaction I'll get from her with regard to that and I just, I don't want that right now. And those of you who are married, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, And so I didn't do it. And then this voice, just, I don't even know how to explain it. And when you say a voice, it sounds too weird. But I felt a deep conviction that that wasn't a good deal and that I should actually tell Karen what I'd just done. And I said to this voice, (laughs) it's amazing how when those thoughts come, we rationalize and we argue with them. At least I do. I don't know whether you do. And I just said, oh, that was so silly, it's just dumb, I'm not going to tell her. And he said, if it was so silly and so small and so, you know, uh, inconsequential, why wouldn't you want to tell her? And, and just the thought came to me. And if you're prepared to hide the silly, the small, and the inconsequential, as you called them, what would you do when something really big comes along? Oh, I would tell her. Oh, really? Well, why won't you tell her the small things? And then really firmly... Tell her. Now, I didn't say this out loud, but I wanted to. I said, Lord, she's red-headed and she's Irish. You tell her. <laughs> you know? But anyway, I did. And, and, you know, I mean, Karen just laughed. said, oh, man. You know, she said, I, I was going to hide that from you. The Holy Spirit is a faithful friend. Sometimes he wounds. Sometimes he speaks words of such tenderness. Again, another story, and I'll make this the last one, but, um, and some of you have heard it, please forgive me, but um, when, um, a few years ago when I was traveling a bit more than I'm doing at the moment, um, I came home one day, and one of the things when you're traveling is you get out of your spiritual routines, you know, because you've got different time zones and some incredible demands on your time, and, and, and um, to be truthful, I, I love the routines and the rhythms of, of the way that I seek God, and, and I get up early in the morning, I make myself a cup of tea, and I go and I sit in his presence, and I'd been away, and I'd really, really missed it, and I wanted, I was really looking forward to getting back into it. Well, um, we had the grandkids staying with us at that time. I, I think Donald and Janelle were in between houses and they were living with us. And so I'd come back and while I'd been away, I'd bought Janelle, who was our oldest grandchild, this, um, this kind of, I don't know what it was, a Disney box of, of princesses and prince, you know. And, and I, I think it had to do with, um, who, who's the princess? It's just the princess that's got the ugly sisters. Cinderella, sorry. <laughs> Man, I should know that. But anyway, <laughs> I bought this thing for her, and she was really excited. And she said to me, Papa, Papa, can we play that in the morning? I said, yeah, yeah, cool. You know, yeah, no problem, you know. And so, so the next morning, I get up, and I get up early, and I am not expecting Neve or anybody else in the house, actually, to be up at that time. So I'm making the cup of tea, and I'm thinking how much I'm looking forward to this. And I hear the pitter-patter of little feet coming down the hallway. And, and I, I have these conflicting emotions. I mean, I have missed her immensely, and I'm really looking forward to interacting and playing with her. But I really was hoping that it would be after the worship time. 
in my quiet time. And she burst into the room, you know, wide-eyed, bushy-tailed, Papa, Papa, can we play Cinderella? And I said, yeah, okay, you set it up, sweetheart, and I'll just make my cup of tea. And, and so she rushed off, and I said to the Lord, I just, I don't know whether it was out loud, I, I, don't even, I can't even remember, I just said, Lord, this is going to have to wait. The worshiper's going to have to wait. And he, as clear as a bell, just spoke to my heart. And he said, I will take what you are about to do as worship. And I went, whoa. You mean playing with my granddaughter, playing Cinderella, you will take as worship? And he said, I will. By the way, that's a word that needs to be heard by many a young mum and many a young dad who feels guilty because they don't always get their reading time or their prayer time. But when it's done unto the Lord, he takes it as worship. And I want to tell you, I went and played Cinderella with Gusta. <laughs> she cast me as the ugly sister. <laughs> Not quite sure. Well, don't bother telling me afterwards, okay? I tell you, I played the ugly sister with such gusto that at some point in that game, she said, Papa, calm down, or I will turn your batteries off. <laughs> I said, sweetheart, if only life was that easy. Okay? He is a real person. He is a delightful person. He's good. He's kind. He's honest. He's gracious. He's forgiving. He's merciful. Who would not want to meet a person like that? And he's there waiting and saying, invite me. Start a relationship. Start pursuing me. I tell you, you'll be amazed as you do. Now, some people tend to say, and I'm going to finish with this thought, but some people tend to say, listen, the Holy Spirit magnifies Jesus. He's not interested in, in exalting himself. He's the humble member of the Godhead, which, you know, which is like, you mean the other two aren't? That, that's just so silly. But they say, well, you know, he comes and he'll guide you into all truth. And John says he will not speak of himself but whatever he hears, he'll speak. And, and a lot of us have come away with the idea that he doesn't speak about himself and you can't really learn about the Holy Spirit because he always defers, you know? Well, he is humble. That's a character quality of God. They're all humble. He's come to glorify Jesus. Jesus is his absorbing passion. He will magnify, mediate, and minister Jesus in every situation, at every opportunity. But a more accurate understanding of that verse is not that he doesn't speak about himself, but that he doesn't speak out of his own resources independently from the Father, which, by the way, is exactly what Jesus said. He said, I do not speak of myself, but what I hear from my Father, I speak. What I see my Father doing, I do. The Holy Spirit does exactly the same. He speaks what the Father is speaking. He does what the Father is doing. He isn't the shy and retiring, deferring member of the Godhead. He writes, he, he, he inspired the Scriptures, and he speaks a huge amount in the, in the Scriptures about his own ministry, whether it's under the picture of oil or, or water or a dove or fire. You don't have to feel guilty about cultivating a relationship with the Holy Spirit. I've heard people say, well, you shouldn't pray to the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to pray to the Father through Jesus by the power of the Spirit. But you don't, you don't focus on him because he, he would... That's, that's, you know, listen, the Godhead is very secure. 
You know, and Jesus is not sitting there thinking, pray to him. What? I'm the one who died on the cross. What did he do? Just watched on? It's ridiculous. Hebrews says, by the way, that when Jesus died on the cross and surrendered himself, he did so by the power of the Spirit. You, you can cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit. You can pray to him. You can say, Holy Spirit, would you guide me in this situation? I really don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what that noise is. I have no idea, but I think you might. Would you help me? And you'd be surprised how often he does. I'm going to stop there. I'm going to invite the musicians to come back. And over the next few weeks, Chris and I are going to explore the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I really hope that what we do will stir up in your heart a love for and a pursuit of this divine person, this incredibly beautiful person. So as you pray, I mean, as we worship tonight, maybe you'd like to pray. Say, come Holy Spirit, come. I'm inviting you afresh. Now you might be a person, you've walked with the Lord for 30 years, you've been in Pentecostal churches all your life, and you say, well, you know, man, I know the Holy Spirit. Listen, what I do know about relationships is they move in seasons, sometimes incredible intensity and then others not so much. And it may be that some of us have been in a season where that intensity for all kinds of reasons has basically sort of dialed back a bit. You might like this evening just to wind it back up. Say, Lord, Holy Spirit, come. Often when I'm in my prayer time, there are some Holy Spirit choruses that I just, I sing over and over and over. And one of the old ones is, come Holy Spirit, I need you. Come, sweet Spirit, I pray. Come with your strength and your power. Come in your own gentle way. Come as the streams in my desert. Come as the balm for my sore. Come as the dew for my dryness. Come in your own special way. The early church, it says, lived in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. There's a passage in Acts that says the early church lived in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That word comfort is a word that comes from the original language and it means to invoke. The Holy Spirit was invoked by the early believers. They called down his presence. Even in traditional churches today, you will go in and they will often begin with what they call the invocation, where they welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, the Holy Spirit is everywhere. He's omnipresent. How can you welcome him into a place where he's already? Well, you know, there's a difference between his omnipresence and his manifest presence. And when you invoke his presence, when you are living in the invocation of the Holy Spirit, you are asking for that manifest presence of this divine person living with you, walking with you, revealing the love and life of Jesus in you and through you. And I can't, I can't imagine a life any more exciting than living and walking with this person. I tell you, he's a gem. Let's stand and worship tonight and welcome him, would you? Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.